If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And some may be thinking, this is a curious passage to read on Christmas Eve. Why not read a passage that has to do with shepherds in the fields and angels in the sky and a a baby in a manger and wise men from the east? But this passage written by the Apostle Paul to the, the believers in the city of Galatia addresses more fully why Jesus came to earth So I invite you now to hear God's word. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Will you pray with me? Our God, we ask that as your Holy Spirit has inspired the writing of these words, that your Holy Spirit would come now and be our teacher, that you would lead us into all the truth, and that you would cause your word to be opened before us in the eyes of our hearts, to be open to see the truth that you have revealed, that we might be transformed by the power of your living and active word, that our lives might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior, King, Lord, and Messiah, in whose name we pray. Amen. This passage begins with a reference to time, and yet God is outside of time. God is above time. He is over all time. He's not bound by time, but we read in this passage that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. So the timing was so significant about which Paul is writing that our calendars reflected in before Christ and in the year of our Lord. Jesus entered time and our calendars reflect that even if those references to before Christ and in the year of our Lord are no longer politically in fashion. The Apostle Paul says that the fullness of time had come and that statement is worth pondering What does it mean that the fullness of time had come, and how would anyone know what it was? What does it mean when we say the fullness of time had come? It means that the time was ripe, that the time had fully arrived, that the situation in the world was at just the situation where it needed to be for God to intervene. Morally and spiritually, the world had become very dark. God's chosen people had turned their backs upon the Lord and they'd gone after other gods. They'd gone their own way. And the reality is that people have done that in every age since that time. 
Instead of relying upon God for protection, God's chosen people sought to form military alliances and political alliances with the surrounding nations who worshipped false gods. And eventually those surrounding nations overran them and carried them off into captivity. It was a dark time. The time had almost fully come. And so after they were in captivity, there was a period of 400 years of silence where there was no prophetic word from the Lord. The 400 years before Jesus came, between the conclusion of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, were years of silence where the word of the Lord was not heard. No prophetic voice was spoken. That last prophet recorded in the Old Testament is the prophet Malachi. And we read these last words of the last chapter of the Old Testament in Malachi 4, verses 1 through 6. It says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave neither root nor branch. There was going to be total devastation. But as for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. That's a familiar phrase. It's in one of our Christmas carols. And it comes from those last words of the Old Testament, Malachi 4. It goes on to say, You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And here are the very last words of the Old Testament. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. What a promise is given there in Malachi 4 that God will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and, and children, the hearts of children to their fathers. If there's anything that shows us the darkness and the need of our world, it's broken relationships. The relationship that God intended for us to enjoy with himself was broken shortly after the beginning of human history when Adam and Eve chose to turn their backs on God. They believed that they could get what they needed better than they could if they depended upon God. And it's been happening ever since. But as soon as that happened, it brought about division and conflict in human relationships, separation in human relationships, even between fathers and their children and children and their fathers. So what better gift could there be for the family that has known conflict and division and estrangement than for that promise of reconciliation that God will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers? You know, there are different kinds of pain in this world. Physical pain can keep you awake at night. It really can. It can just eat away at you and keep you from sleeping. And then the pain of foolish financial decisions can cause every waking moment to be a, a moment of anxious thought. 
but it's the pain of broken relationships that keeps us awake at night and causes us to be anxious in all of our waking moments. And God promised in those last words of the Old Testament that he would turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So if you've come here tonight with broken relationships, you know you're supposed to meet with family tomorrow and you are dreading it because it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, it's even oppressive perhaps. God has a wonderful promise for you that he intends to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Now some think and even say out loud that things are worse in our day than they've ever been before. They're worse today than they've been in previous generations. But there has been evil as long as there have been people. The first humans rebelled against God and disobeyed, choosing to go their own way rather than God's way. In the days after Jesus was born, King Herod ordered all the boys two years old and under to be killed in an effort, an attempt to put to death the one who the wise men came seeking, who they referred to as the King of the Jews. Can you imagine that happening in our day? A political leader, a, a president or a prime minister ordering the slaughter of people under his authority? Innocent children, two years old and under? That is a sign of a very dark world. And it was into that world that God sent his own son. The time had fully come. The fullness of time had come. The darkness was so dark and so evil and so hopeless that God sent forth his son to bring light to people who had been walking in darkness. Not only was the time morally and spiritually right, but there were developments taking place in the world at that time that made it the right time, the fullness of time, for God to send forth his son. The Roman Empire had established the Pax Romana, or Peace of Rome, and that made it easy to pass throughout the empire with greater mobility, less restraint. There were also quality roads, Roman roads that had been built that made transportation much easier. And then there was a common language throughout the Roman Empire. It was Koine Greek, common Greek, not classical Greek, common Greek in which the New Testament is written. So God prepared this time, and when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. So how would anyone know that the time had fully come? God would know, because God is all-wise. God is all-knowing. God knows and declares the end from the beginning. Before it happens, God declares what will be. God is never surprised by what happens. Some here like to play baseball. Some of you like to watch baseball. Others of you would rather watch paint dry than watch baseball. But one of the things that many find interesting about baseball is the strategy involved. In the professional, the major leagues, they have what they call managers, kind of like coaches, but they manage. They manage the team. They, they attempt to manage the game. They're paid big bucks because they're intended to manage the game, manage the team, so that their team comes out on top. 
And so managers have to make decisions about what lineup to use, who to start at what position, and when to make changes, when to make substitutions, when to relieve the starting pitcher and call for the closer who is supposed to be able to finish out the game so the team wins the game. Often in the World Series, the final championship series of Major League Baseball, it goes the full seven games because you have to win four games in order to win the championship. And so this past year, game seven, the drama was there to be had. There was a matchup between two stellar pitchers. One pitcher had a breaking ball that would just drop off the table. He'd come up to the strike zone and just drop. What are you supposed to do with that kind of pitch? But then they had what looked like a commanding lead. He had this great stuff. He had command of his pitches. The catcher gives him the signal for this next pitch. The pitcher shakes it off, says, no, I'm not throwing that pitch. I've got a better pitch in mind. And he throws whatever pitch he had in mind, and it hung up in the strike zone. The batter swings, knocks it out of the park for a home run. Next batter comes up to the plate. Pitcher throws another pitch. Bang! Another home run. And I'm thinking the manager at that point was probably wishing he had pulled that starter and brought in a closer or a relief pitcher to finish off the game. God knows what time it is. He knows when the time has fully come. Baseball managers are not omniscient. They don't know all things. They're not all wise. Many of you have spent recent days baking, baking cookies perhaps, maybe pies, maybe cakes, and the expert baker knows when the time has fully come, when it's time to take that baked good out of the oven. Now the amateur doesn't necessarily know, and so they may stick a, a toothpick in it, they may stick their finger in it or a knife in it, they may just give up and take it out of the oven, and if it's too late, if the time has passed, it's going to be inedible. It's going to be burned to a crisp. If it's too early, it would be inedible for some, except for those of us who like doughy baked goods. God knows when the time has fully come. He knew that the time had fully come, and when the time had fully come, he sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Some of you who are old enough will remember a commercial that aired in 1978. The commercial was a wine commercial. It was Paul Masson Wine Company. And it began with Orson Welles sitting in a chair holding a glass. And you heard the first four notes of Beethoven's symphony. Dun, 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 dun. And then Orson Welles begins to speak and he says... It took Beethoven four years to write that symphony. Th some things can't be rushed. Good music, good wine. He went on to say Paul Masson's Emerald Dry, a delicious white wine. Paul Masson wines taste so good because they're made with such care. What Paul Masson himself said nearly a century ago is still true today. We will sell no wine before it's time. And Beethoven's Fifth Symphony continues to play in the background as the scene fades. Orson Welles claimed to know when the time had fully come. 
We will serve, sell no wine before it's time. There was another commercial from that era, from the 70s, and it was a Lipton soup commercial. And it had this familiar phrase, is it soup yet? It's a phrase that has come to mean, is it finished? Is it ready? Is it time? But the phrase comes from this Lipton soup commercial, and it was notable on several levels. First off, it was a slam against Campbell's soup. Campbell's ready-to-eat soups. All you had to do was dump it out in a can, heat it up, and it was ready to go because it was merely condensed. But Lipton went one step farther than Campbell's and removed itself even further from the real stuff by removing all the water and powdering the soup. And so only when rehydrated with boiling water was it again soup. So kids in the commercial would ask, is it soup yet? And back then, that was supposed to be a good thing. The fact that it was more processed than Campbell's and further removed from real whole food was a selling point. Imagine that. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God knew when the fullness of time had come. God knows all things. He is all wise. And so God sent forth his son. Imagine what it means that God would send forth his son. Some of you have lost a son. You have known that awful grief of losing a son either to illness or to accident. And if you had a choice in the matter, you never would have chosen for your son to die. What loving parent would? And yet God sent forth his son. He willingly gave his son. There's no greater love than that. God shows his love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent forth his son when the time had fully come. God sent forth his son born of woman. Jesus had to be born of woman to redeem humanity and to pay the price for human sin. He had to be born of woman. He had to be born, first of all. Jesus didn't just enter the world as a grown-up, a grown man. He had to be humbled and take on the form of a servant being born as a baby, being placed in a manger. In our preschool, I meet with the, chapel, the children for chapel on Monday mornings. And just a week ago, we were talking about how when Jesus was born, he was king. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet it didn't look like he was a king because he wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't wrapped in fine linens, silky and satin royal colors. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths, strips of cloth. Jesus was born of woman to redeem those of us who are born of woman. But notice it says Jesus was born of woman, not born of woman and a man, because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. His birth was unique in all of history. No other baby was born this way, and it was to show that he is holy, that he is the Son of God. So Jesus was born of woman. He was born under the law. God's law, his instruction for his people had been given on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. 
But Jesus summed up all the law in these words. He said, this is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And the tragic thing is that none of us have kept that law. We have all broken God's law. We've all failed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There are other things that pull at our hearts for our affection, and we too often turn away and go after those things. And it's like going after a mirage. It will never satisfy. And we've all failed, if we're honest, to love our neighbor as ourself, to desire for our neighbor what we desire for ourselves, namely the best that God has for us himself. And I won't ask for a show of hands to see how recently you failed to love your neighbor as yourself, but I know for me, it was just earlier today in our own home. And I was impatient. I was feeling stress and I was impatient and spoke in a tone of voice that was not loving. And so there's good news. If you're anything like I am, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those of us who are under the law, who had failed to keep God's law. God sent forth a savior to rescue us. Now there are some that you may have met and I've met who've said, well, I've never sinned, so I don't need a savior. But typically those people are typically thinking in terms of very literal understanding of the Ten Commandments. I've never murdered anyone with my own hands. I've never slept with anyone to whom I'm not married. I've never stolen anything from somebody else. But Jesus took it farther than that and said that the law consists in attitudes of the heart as well. And so the good news is that Jesus was sent forth in the fullness of time, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those of us who are under the law. And what does it mean that God sent forth Jesus to redeem us? Sometimes we think of redemption. We think of a slave being set free to do whatever that slave wants to do. But redemption isn't so much about being free to do whatever you want. Redemption is about a transfer of ownership. It means where we were under the power of sin, where we were a slave to sin, that now we have been transferred to the ownership of Jesus Christ. When I was growing up in Nebraska, we lived in a small town outside of Omaha, a small town called Ralston, and my mom didn't drive, and so when she went to the grocery store, she would walk, and sometimes we would walk with her, her three sons, she had a son and then twins 18 months later, and so she had three boys 18 months apart. And my mom was only four foot 10 and she didn't drive a car, so she was kind of limited in her mobility. And if one of us got away, was kind of a challenge for her to round up the herd. And one day that happened at the local grocery store and I was out in the parking lot of this little shopping center and somehow by God's grace, someone found me and reunited with me with my mom. But at that grocery store, when my mom would pay for the groceries, she had a little book and in that book, there were places to put stamps. You, if you're old enough, may know what those stamps are. They were called S&H green stamps, at least in Nebraska. In Ohio, they may have had something similar. But this was before your cell phone, when you scan it, when you go through the line and you enter your reward code or whatever like that. But S&H green stamps was a way of rewarding people who shopped there frequently and loyally. 
And so after you filled your book with SNH green stamps, you would take it somewhere. Do you know where you would take it? To the Redemption Center. And there wasn't one in our small town of Ralston, so we'd go into the big city of Omaha. I know some of you think that's just a cow town, but in, in Omaha there were actually some bigger buildings, and there was a Redemption Center out on 72nd, near 72nd and Dodd Street, which is kind of the, used to be the western frontier of Omaha. The city has since grown, so it's now kind of midtown. But there was a store there that was called the Redemption Center. You'd bring your SNH green stamps there, and you would trade that book in for maybe a table lamp or a kitchen appliance. And you would walk out of that store and you'd say, table lamp, you are mine, you belong to me. Toaster, you are going to make toast for me for the rest of my life. There was a transfer of ownership. There was an exchange that happened. And that's what God did in sending forth his son to redeem those who were born under the law. He purchased us and we belong to him. God sent forth his son to redeem those who were born under the law. This is good news. God gave us the greatest gift in Christ. And now we are heirs of all that belongs to Jesus. The first verses of Galatians chapter 4 talk about being heirs. It says, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So even if you're an heir, until there's a death, until you're of majority age, you don't receive all that's coming to you. But when Jesus died, when he was sent forth to die for our sins, that sealed this inheritance for us. When I was in seminary, we met a woman at the church where I was doing my internship. Her name was Sybil Dugan. Sybil was a fashion designer. She was a wonderful woman. She had a fun personality. She lived kind of on the south edge of Pasadena, and she drove a 1968 Thunderbird in mint condition. But Sybil had broken her leg, and it had been set incorrectly, and so it was bowed out, and it made it difficult for her to walk, and especially difficult for her to drive, so she couldn't drive her 68 Thunderbird. And so when we would offer to pick her up for church, she would say, well, Rick, would you like to drive the T-Bird? And I said, Sybil, just twist my arm a little bit harder, okay? And so we'd drive her car to worship, and we'd go to her home for dinner after worship, and and she mentioned casually that she was going to include us in her will. She didn't have any family, no children, no other family members. And so we moved to Ohio to accept a call to pastor a church here. And after a number of years, we heard that Sybil had died. And then in the mail came a check, a sizable check, which enabled us to put a down payment on a house. We were heirs before that. She had put us in her will, but until she died, we didn't receive all that was there for us. Jesus died, and so everything that was, is for us is now available to us in him. We are heirs. He has made all that is his available to us. All that belongs to him is now yours and mine who trust in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says, all things are yours, 
whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So God has graciously given us all things in Christ. He sent forth his son in the fullness of time. When the fullness of time had come, he sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Some of you know what it means to be adopted. Some of you have adopted children into your family. You know all about that. You know what it means to set your love on someone and say, I choose to love you for the rest of my life. I am committed to you as long as I live. And God has done that for us in Jesus Christ. And God never dies. So he is committed to us forever and ever in his son, Jesus Christ. So what does this, all this mean for us? It means first that this is a great gift that we are to receive by faith. Receive this great gift of life through Jesus Christ. And then it also means that we're to extend the grace that we've received to others. If you are adopted by God through Jesus Christ, through faith, you have life forever and ever. All that belongs to Christ is yours. And so you can be afford to be generous in your love towards others. You can be extravagant in the way you love others. People who have hurt you, who have wronged you, who have never tried to make things right, you can take the first step, like Jesus took the first step. He took the initiative in saving us, in bringing about adoption for us. You can take the first step to make things right with someone with whom you're estranged. The call of the gospel is a call for two directions. First, there's a call to come, to come to Christ by faith. And tonight I urge you, if you have not received Jesus Christ, if you are not trusting in him, if you've not known him, if you've not committed your life to him, that today would be a day of salvation for you. Perhaps today is when the time has fully come for you and God wants to bring about your salvation this very night. We're not promised tomorrow. We have this moment, we have this day, but we're not promised tomorrow. And that can be a very unsettling word for children, especially on Christmas Eve, that we're not promised tomorrow? What do you mean? There are Christmas presents under the tree to be opened. Well, I'm not saying that to unsettle children's hearts, to make them frightened, or to upset parents and get them angry at me for saying such a thing to their children. I'm just saying there's an urgency to our lives that God is saying today, the time has fully come. Today is the day of salvation. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Things can be new beginning today. So there's this call of two directions, to come to Christ by faith and then to go with the grace that we've received and take that to the world around us. Come to Christ, go into the world. In a moment, we're going to light candles, and we're going to, in doing so, have a symbol of taking the light into a dark world. If Jesus Christ is your savior, if you know him who is the light of the world, then you have light to shine into the darkness around you, and he invites you to do that. 
God sent forth his son into the world in the fullness of time. Today, Jesus is here to rescue you, to save you, to give you light and life. Receive his gift and then take it to the world. Would you pray with me? Lord our God, we thank you for your word that you have given us a word of hope that things don't have to remain the way they have been, that they can be new, that things can be different, that our lives can be changed, that the things that we love can be changed, that the relationships that are broken can be healed, that you can work in our bodies to bring about healing physically, and you can break the power of financial oppression and bring us into freedom financially. You can bring us into freedom in emotionally where we've been in the darkness and pressed down in depression and despair you can bring us hope and new encouragement and so lord we pray that today in this fullness of time in this very moment you would do those things by your spirit for us and that you would send us forth into a dark world with the light and the life of jesus christ to carry the good news of great joy that a Savior has been born, that he has come, that he has lived and he has died and he rose again and he's coming again in glory for those who are waiting for him in faith. So Lord, thank you for the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. May we live ever mindful of it and extend and share that hope with others. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.